You're not always going to have somebody who's going to drive you forward and motivate you. I mean, it's great to have that that support network, but sometimes it's not there. And it's at that point, you got to dig into yourself and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm the captain of this ship and I need to lead it forward. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we have conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, athletes, best-selling authors who are using their impact moment to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. I am your host, Mike Flynn, and each week our guest is part of a series such as Mindset, Leadership, Purpose, and we just concluded an incredibly powerful series on belief. Now, this series is all about a warrior's heart. So over the course of the next few weeks, we will take time learning from some of America's greatest warrior leaders and how they are using their experience to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. I think this is a perfect series to follow up belief because each guest in this series willingly volunteered to place themselves in situations where they had to develop the skills necessary not only to survive, but also to achieve their objectives. And they did so in the midst of many obstacles and challenges. And more importantly, each one faced incredible amounts of adversity. And now they are taking those lessons of leadership and humility and resiliency and have a new mission to impart those lessons to the world. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and now let's learn a little bit more about this week's guest in the Warrior's Heart series. Self-leadership preceding team leadership is a core element of what constitutes a great leader, and this week's guest had to learn that lesson the hard way. Jason Redmond is a retired Navy SEAL officer, speaker, and author of The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader. And in his book, Jason is extremely vulnerable and brutally honest about his journey, from the challenges he had getting into the military to begin with, to the mistake he made as a military SEAL leader in combat that literally almost cost him his trident, to doing what was necessary to re-earn the trust and respect of his SEAL brothers, to getting struck in the face by a machine gun at point-blank range, and what he did to maintain his mindset and his mental strength and build community, and how overcoming all of these challenges allowed him to grow into a more effective leader. Today, you will learn how you can apply some of these lessons in your daily lives. Some of the key lessons that we talk about are tenacity, and why it's required, and why it's important for you and I to believe in ourselves and what we're doing. And sometimes this means understanding the difference between quitting and falling back and reassessing and getting back up and tackling the mission again. We also talk about communication and how key it is. And if everybody you work with is informed about what's going on, you foster better relationships and invite success and elevate the possibility of success happening. And finally, we talk about the importance of developing an overcome mindset. Leaders figure out what they need to do, and they get it done. They evaluate what needs to get done, and they put in the steps necessary and discipline themselves to accomplish it. This is an inspirational conversation. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jason Redman, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to host you. Uh, we've connected through Josh Montz, whose episode will have just aired prior to yours. And it's an incredible honor to have you on the show and to share your story and to impact our audience today. Mike, honored to be on. Thank you. And yeah, huge shout out to Josh. For those of you that don't know his story, you definitely need to check him out. You know, we're, we're going to dive into your book and, and your story and some of your thoughts on what it takes to overcome adversity today and why people have a hard time encountering adversity today. But before we do that, I want to talk about your origin story. What was it like growing up in the Redmond family? So I grew up in a very patriotic, conservative family, military service. I mean, I just remember stories about my grandfather, who was a uh, very decorated pilot. He flew B-24, survived the war. 
highly decorated. And I mean, the story, uh, his, his uh, B-24 actually got shot down and they crash landed it in Yugoslavia on a huge snowfield in a field and, uh, and survived. They walked away from this crash and they evaded all the way back. He led his guys evading all the way back to Italy to friendly mines. So he earned the Distinguished Flying Cross for that. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, just stories of, uh, you know, that, that was my dad's dad. And then on my paternal grandmother's side, her brother, he was shot down. He was a pilot in the Pacific in World War II. My, my mom's father, they immigrated over from France. But my maternal grandfather, he actually served with the French Foreign Legion in World War II. So I just had this rich history of military service. My dad served in the army when he was uh, during the Vietnam War. He didn't go over to Vietnam, but he was training guys. Uh, he was a jump master and a rigger. And that's actually where I found out about the SEAL teams. My dad had interfaced with some SEALs when he was uh, doing jump training. And he told me about them and said, hey, I think this may be right up your alley. Wow, you know, I want to talk about your grandparents, your grandfathers for a moment, because that is the, you know, been referred to as the greatest generation, and they really are. And, and my wife's grandfather just passed. He was a World War II veteran. My grandfather was uh, a Navy guy. He was actually tethered to the USS Arizona on, um, on December 7th, 1941. He was on the USS Vestal. The lessons that they all had in terms of doing what it takes and stepping up and, and volunteering. And, and I'd love to, to hear from you what some of the most important lessons they shared with you uh, as you were coming up. You know, I think the biggest thing being around them was just the value of hard work and a work ethic and the stick to itness that defined, in my opinion, that generation. I mean, the grit of the World War II generation just goes without question. And I think... That grid is what made America into what it is. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of our country with the Continental Army, it, it was the grid of these citizen soldiers. I mean, I mean, gosh, I mean, the mere fact that we were able to win this war, uh, you know, is a testament to both Washington's conviction to be able to drive through, especially over the, you know, the winter at Valley Forge. And, and the citizen soldiers who said, wow, despite the lack of funding and everything else, we, we want this freedom. And it was that grit that I think carried forward to our World War II generation. And those were the things that definitely I learned from my grandfather was, hey, you know, if you start something, you don't quit. You know, you drive forward. You know, you stay focused no matter how bad it gets. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, I think that they did it with the war and then they came home. And, uh, and they assimilated back into American society, and they led on all kinds of fronts, whether it was in business, whether it was in their community, within their churches, within their, um, even in the political spectrum. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that same impact today. Uh, our current generation of veterans are not duplicating that same effort. When you were a kid coming up, I mean, obviously in your book and in your career, you, you've had a high degree of self-confidence and, and belief. Is that something that you possessed as a kid? I think it blossomed late in life. Probably, you know, in my 17, 18 year old age, I was a, uh, I was a, I'm not a big guy. I'm about five, eight and 170 pounds. So I'm on the smaller side of the seal spectrum. But, you know, when I was younger, I was really small. I mean, probably my ninth and 10th grade years, I was only about five feet tall and about a hundred pounds. So yeah, it was kind of funny. It was about that same time that I decided to become a SEAL. Of course, I had a lot of people, you know, that would laugh at that idea, but something within me just said, you know, it was just fuel to the fire. And it just made me that much more persistent and committed to achieving this goal. So fast forward a couple of years, I've been working out hard for a couple of years. I joined the football team. I wrestled. And I think all those things really helped build up my confidence that, hey, I have the ability to do this. And, uh, and obviously, that, that confidence continued to carry forward in my, my younger years in the SEAL teams as I continued to have successes. As you were coming up in that period of time when you're, you're joining the football team, you're wrestling, you're, you're doing all of these things to train for your goal 
to become a SEAL. Was there a person, a mentor, a coach who helped draw that greatness out of you? Yeah, I mean, I'll give credit uh, to, to probably two different people. The uh, our wrestling coach at the time, he was kind of a he was he was kind of a hard ass, but uh, but a good guy. He pushed the team, and he knew he he he. I want to say he was former Army, if I remember correctly, and uh, he definitely would push me hard and proud. He's like, you want to be a seal? You better start doing, you know, you better crank out more push-ups. You better crank out more of this. You better be pushing yourself. So he definitely pushed me. And then there was another guy, uh, Mike, and I, I'll be honest to this day, I don't know. I've, I've tried to track him down and I have not been successful, but when I was a senior in high school down in Florida, he was the assistant wrestling coach and he was a former force recon Marine. And I trained with him for about six months, you know, doing runs and swims and calisthenics. And, and uh, he really helped me out a lot. When you think back to those, those mentors, was, there, was it just their belief in you that drew out your ability or, or was it just your desire to not disappoint them? You know, I think it's a combination of the two. I like to think that I have the ability to drive forward, even if somebody tells me you can't do that or they don't agree with what I'm doing. And sometimes that's both a strength and a weakness. Thankfully, obviously, both of them believed in me and uh, tried to push me. And that just helped me push myself further. You know, that's actually one of the principles that I speak a lot on is your ability to lead yourself, because you're not always going to have somebody who's going to drive you forward and motivate you. I mean, it's great to have that, that support network, but sometimes it's not there. And it's at that point, you got to dig into yourself and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm the captain of this ship and I need to lead it forward. You know, I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more on kind of self-regulation and, and the, the ability that we all need to develop and possess to drive forward by ourselves in the midst of pain and struggle. And when things aren't all Rosie. And you know, before we hit the record button, you were kind of talking a little bit about the process of becoming a SEAL and how that's changed over the over since you've became a SEAL. So maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on the progression and why those who are in the lineup to become a SEAL are more qualified than ever. And yet we still have a bunch of people that ring the bell. Yeah, I think, you know, amazing throughout the history of the SEAL teams with the origin of the SEAL teams going back to World War II with the Scouts and Raiders, the the training pipeline back then in Fort Pierce, Florida, uh, is very similar to what we still do today. Obviously, we you know, technology has enabled us to do more and different things, a little more innovative. But the, the ingredients for individuals going through SEAL training or BUDS is the same. Uh, over that time period, though, we've definitely applied a lot of money into how we evaluate. You know, there's millions of dollars that have been spent on trying to psychoanalyze individuals who both have made it through training and those who didn't and figure out, you know, what is that difference? And despite all the money that we've poured into this and all these studies, uh, the attrition rate has remained relatively the same over the last, you know, what, 70 years now since SEAL training started. And that's at about a 75% attrition rate. Today, the kids that are coming in are so much better screened than they were in the past. Um, not, not that they weren't screened properly before, but the, the thing is, we, the SEAL teams are in the limelight quite a bit now. So you have a lot of young men out there who they want to become a SEAL which is great for us for recruiting purposes. But it also means we get a lot of people who really have no business trying to do that. You know, they've never done anything that they really could push themselves. So those are the ones that unfortunately, you know, we need to, we need to screen out and say, hey, you're not a good candidate. So now it's allowing us to get to really the top 10% uh, who have the highest PT scores and mental aptitude. And uh, they take some tests to show their levels of resiliency. You know, they go through their boot camp, they go through a SEAL prep course prior to going to SEAL training. But the problem is we're still seeing roughly the same attrition rate. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of different, everybody has different views for that. I personally think it's a cultural problem. I think that as a nation, 
we are not allowing our younger Americans, the, the America's youth, to grow up and encounter failure and, and, and navigate their way through adversity on their own. You know, we're sheltering so many of these kids out there that by the time they get into the real world, they're not sure how to function, whether it's some ideal that may be offensive to them. And we just shield them from that and say, oh, well, you know, hey, if that makes you uncomfortable, then, you know, go go into this safe space or something like that. I think all of those things, that cultural shift is having a direct impact on the grit of this current generation and why, despite the fact that we're providing so much higher level of training and preparation for these guys, the failure level is still as good or greater than it was before. You bring up an incredible point, and and your book is is really a reflection of the the myriad of what I refer to as impact moments that launched you on your current path. And facing rejection and facing adversity is is you know the thr- the through line for your entire life story, really. And it starts at the beginning when when you faced a Navy, re- Navy recruiter who told you no. So I'd love to hear about how re- rejection and adversity helped actually develop your self-confidence and determination and ultimately play a role in your success as a SEAL and in life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great question, Mike. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, friends of mine sometimes joke with me that there's the, uh, you know, there's the hard way, there's the easy way, and then there's the Jay Redmond way. <laughs> and uh, I, I I sometimes even take a step back myself and go, God, I wish I was a little smarter where, you know, I could navigate this a little easier, but whatever happens, you know, it's a lot has to do with my stubbornness and tenacity that I will just grind through the hardest way and I'll figure out how to get to the other side. But usually there's easier ways to do it. But there's no doubt that um, I don't know if anything I've done in my life has come super easy. I mean, I will just say that um, I was not a star athlete Uh, Like I said, I blossomed kind of late athletically, probably 17 or 18, and had to build myself up over time. And that was a, it was a lot of work to get myself prepared to go through SEAL training. And then, you know, all these different hurdles that I encountered along my military career from the initial uh, recruiter who took one look at this five foot tall, hundred pound weakling and said, you'll never be a SEAL. Get out of here. Beat it. You're wasting our time. To downfalls that I had in my career from making bad decisions as a young leader, you know, doing things that definitely negatively impacted my my leadership credibility. And, you know, there were people that were like, hey, we should kick him out. You know, thankfully, I did have a couple of people that believed in me and and it allowed me to continue to drive forward. But I, you know, when anybody ever talks to me, you know, what's the secret to success? You know, I'm definitely not the smartest guy. I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the strongest guy. It is grit. It is tenacity. It is that I will drive forward and I will never quit. I will keep driving forward. You know, it doesn't matter what you tell me. I will figure out a way to get there. And I think that is truly the key to success. And that gets hard. I mean, the grind gets the grind gets hard at times, especially if you've been grinding away for years on end. But I think so many people out there, especially in this day and age, where I feel like as a nation, we're becoming where it's almost uh, the norm to quit. It's like, oh, if that makes you uncomfortable or if that offends you or if you don't like this, well, you should just quit. You just shouldn't do it because, you know, we should all just be really comfortable. But the problem is you don't grow when you're in your comfort zone. You don't get better when you're in your comfort zone. This is something I speak on. That I call it the pyramid of change. And that change pyramid, where you truly start to grow, and, and, and Mike, you know this because you do CrossFit, is when you're in your discomfort level. You know, mm-hmm. CrossFit specifically is designed to push you into the higher levels of, you know, you're breathing hard, your muscles are screaming, and that's where growth occurs. And it's no different in life. I mean, you've got to get out there into those uncomfortable areas before you're finally going to grow. And I think my ability to maintain that tenacity and grit is what enabled me to keep moving forward and find success when I think there were better, smarter, (laughs) more capable. 
I'd love to learn a little bit more about the the pyramid that you're describing. I've 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 actually not seen it, but I've I've heard it mentioned. I think Josh told me about it. But before we get there, I I think that it's important to talk to delineate between grit and stubbornness because one thing is is uh, can elevate your success in the long run, and the other can actually harm you or ultimately even destroy you. So how do you advise someone to develop the self-awareness so they can remain gritty without being stubborn, if that makes sense? No, it's a good question. I think that you really, so some of that comes back to there's, I think as any good leader, you've got to do a lot of self-introspection. And I think, you know, you know, having read my book, you know, my journey when I, I made a, for those out there, I made a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan. And thankfully we didn't lose anybody on that mission, but it, it, it really damaged my, my leadership reputation. And I suffered some consequences for that decision. And one of those decisions was uh, I, I was sent to U.S. Army Ranger School because my leadership wanted to get me back into an environment where I would humble myself and truly come to understand what it was to lead. And in my book, I talk about that journey uh, when I was in Ranger School of really self-introspection, where I started to look back. And I, here I was, I thought I was this you know, amazing leader and I was so great. And I realized I wasn't as great as I thought I was. And, uh, and I look back and I saw a lot of things that I had uh, been doing wrong. So I think that when it comes down to grit and stubbornness, it is your ability to look within yourself and say, okay, am I driving forward to overcome an obstacle or adversity that, that I know there is a way to the other side. I know there's success on the other side. Not only will it benefit me, it'll benefit others around me. And what is the only thing that's stopping? You know, if I was to just stop, is it is it just to relieve the discomfort, you know, because it's hard and the mental grind? Or is it going to leave a negative impact, you know, because I keep pushing forward? You know, I mean, especially in business, there comes a point where it's insanity to continue to push forward on something that there's no way to win. So uh, you have to, so between stubbornness and grit, grit, you have to look and say, okay, is there a way to win this? If there is, then you keep driving forward. Stubbornness is there's no way you're going to win and you're going to take yourself and others down with you if you continue down that path. Oh man, I love that. How does that, how does that play into your pyramid? Uh, so the, the, the higher levels of so, so the pyramid, it's four levels within that pyramid and the, and the bottom level is no effort equals no results. And we all know, you know, most people in life who produce no effort, usually they don't hold a job very long. And unfortunately they're not very productive members of society. The vast majority of people are in the second level, which is the, which is the status quo effort. You know, they do exactly what needs to be done to maintain their level of where they are at. So they, they, they rarely move up. Um, they meet the minimum requirements. And, and there are a lot of people that are content with that. As a matter of fact, probably 80% of the world, which is unfortunate in my, in my opinion. The next level is that discomfort level. That is where you truly start to push yourself out of your comfort zone. That is where you start to roger up to do positions that maybe you're not fully qualified to do, but you have a good idea and you're like, okay, I may fail at this, but I'd rather fail greatly than never try, you know, or you're willing to endure discomfort for longer term gain. That is the level of personal growth. That is where I feel like everybody should be. The, the highest level is the level, and we've seen, I've seen people like this that, that burn themselves out. And then that, that top level is a burnout because you cannot sustain yourself. You know, they're, they're, they're these people that go up like rockets, but you can't sustain yourself over your life and definitely not in business, you know, uh, if you're burning the candle on both ends at all the time. So that's where you got to have a balance. And I think, you know, you should be looking at that level of discomfort where you can grow careful not to push yourself too far up into that burnout level. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a natural kind of order to, to things. And obviously, you know, if you go work out and you lift some heavy weights, you're going to tear your muscle fiber and you're going to get stronger as that muscle heals. And it's the same thing as we push ourselves in in other situations where we develop almost this 
not to make make light of it, but a post traumatic growth type effort where where we're growing as the result of struggle or adversity or pain, including in our relationships. And you were incredibly vulnerable in your book about the growth that you experienced with your wife, who's amazing. And really, I think she being a hero story. in this in your story. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I mean, loves her, including me. <laughs> as they should. I mean, you know, the, talk about grit. You know, I mean, she's got grit like in folds, you know, and and so it's 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 not necessarily that we need to be gritty in just the hard things. It's everything, right? It's it's in it's in our relationships, in particular, if you're married, you're making a choice and you don't know how things are going to turn out when you say I do. You just know that there's going to be struggles and you have to commit to remaining true through that adversity. And uh, I want to go back to you facing rejection because you had you had this Navy recruiter who said no to you. Then you thought about going to uh, into the Army and, and and they they sent you packing as well. And then you go back to the Navy and there's another recruiter there who gives you a chance. What did you do and how should people listening make sure that they never fail to capitalize on someone giving them an opportunity? Yeah, that's a great point. No, when I went back to the office, uh, you know, probably, I don't know, about four or five months, maybe three months after uh, the Army had told me I wasn't qualified to jump out of airplanes, which I went and got a doctor who evaluated me and said, yeah, you can. I don't know why they said that. So went back to the Navy and there was a new recruiter, uh, Henry Horn. And Henry, if you ever listen to this, I'm looking for you. I want to shake your hand. But uh, Henry was a very gracious sailor. Uh, recruiter. And, you know, he, he, he did not see me as a young skinny punk. He saw me as a kid who was passionate and motivated to serve my country. And, uh, and he provided me all the opportunities. There were, there were videos that you could watch on the SEAL teams in a recruiting office. He'd allow me to watch those videos. He would provide me all the information I needed to come to understand what I needed to do to prepare myself to be a SEAL. And uh, he, he was just great. So I really owe a lot uh, to Henry. And I think I think that so going back to, you know, that message to people out there to not pass on those opportunities, it's a twofold thing. You know, you're going to suffer rejection, but it's funny. I'm actually going to talk about this in my next show, Mike, uh, the overcome mindset and the difference between quitting and falling back. So there, there are oftentimes that you're going to suffer rejection and you're going to suffer a major setback. And for many people, those are the moments they quit. They stop trying. But I think it's critical to never quit. That is the bottom line. You will, you will never hear that word out of my mouth. Never quit. But sometimes what you have to do is fall back. And, you know, it's a military term. You know, if we get into a really hard battle, we start losing a lot of people or, you know, we just can't get past some obstacle. We can fall back to a point of safety, regroup, develop a new plan and then reattack. So it's not quitting. It's just being smarter uh, and going back to reattack again or going back to reengage again. And I think life should be the same way. When people have those setbacks, quitting should not be an option. It, it, it should be, okay, you know, how do I regroup? How do I mentally prepare myself to go back and reengage? And then when you meet these people, like the Henry Horns of the world, who are willing to give you that opportunity, man, you take it. Because life is too short. I meet so many people that, that have passed on opportunities and they get to the end of their life and they look back and they say, gosh, I always wanted to do this, but I never pursued it. Wow. You know, I think that that's a profound insight uh, and important differentiator between the quitting people who feel like they should quit or do something different, but they don't want, they don't like the idea of quitting and falling back gives them the freedom to go back and reevaluate and regroup. Is there like a set of questions or a protocol or something that you've developed to help guide people through that process? 
That's a great idea. No, I have not. But I mean, it's something that I am developed that that whole principle. So no, I would love to develop something like that. I may have to do that because it really is. I mean, if you take and if you look at it from a military perspective, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a mission that occurred. I, I actually talked about this mission in my book. It occurred on the very first mission that when we were in Iraq, I wasn't on this mission, but uh, our guys took down a target. And when they entered that target, they walked into a hail of gunfire. And immediately, uh, we had an individual shot. We had a SEAL that was killed. We had an Iraqi that was killed. And the gunfire was so heavy through that door, it would have been suicide for our guys to continue to just trying to get in. Uh, So they fell back to the next house. They regrouped. They said, "Okay, this is what we saw. This is what we have. This is what happened. And they formulated a new plan. And then they went and they executed that plan. And I think that's what people have to do in life. Also, when you fall back, you got to take an evaluation of, okay, why did I get rejected or why did I fail? You know, what reasons did did they give me? And if they're valid reasons, then maybe you need to look at how you strengthen that up. Uh, another great example. So when I first applied for a commissioning program, I was turned down the first year. And that was pretty disappointing. Um, but they told me why. They said, hey, your package is strong, but it wasn't as strong as the 50 candidates we selected. So here's what you need to do. We recommend that you you know, step up to some more leadership positions. You, know, you need a lead, leading petty officer. You need to da-da-da-da-da. They laid it out. So I fell back instead of saying, well, you know, I didn't make it, so I'm just going to quit. I fell back. I looked at it. I said, okay, these are the things they told me I need to work on. I've got a year to do this. I'm going to get those things. So I did it. I resubmitted and I got picked up that next year. Wow. You, you, you know, you, you're, that story brings up another exercise that you guys, or not, not an exercise, it was an actual mission that you did where you were relying heavily on, on technology and that technology failed and then you ended up getting in, into a tricky situation because you didn't you didn't have the if i'm if i'm recalling the story correctly and you can t- totally uh, elaborate but i think you had like a drone or something that was relaying an image down to you and something happened with the real time footage and you ended up having to turn into a an area that actually put you guys in a really tricky potentially harmful situation and I'd love for you to maybe elaborate on the lessons that were learned and how you apply them today about technology is great, but you still need to do the work to prepare for a worst case scenario. Yep, absolutely. And, and you're, you're, you were close with the story. It actually wasn't a drone. It was our navigation software oh, okay, okay. failed. I was the mobility force commander for a mission that we were, uh, we were going into Fallujah to take down a target. And, um, and I was navigating based off this navigation system, an electronic system. And that system suddenly crashed on me. It stopped working when we were only about five minutes from where our target objective was uh, in a very intricate, densely populated urban area of Fallujah, Iraq, a very bad area, a very dangerous area. And suddenly I was not prepared for this. Um, and I, navigated. I tried to box around and get this system back online. And we ended up putting ourselves in a very, very, very bad situation. And we were fortunate enough that, I mean, we could have been ambushed. We could have driven into an IED. Uh, We did not. But it taught me a very valuable lesson. And that lesson was that preparation is what is going to get you to the other side of when these unexpected things happen. If you rely on the status quo, which I was relying on the status quo, I was just following my navigation software that I'd used hundreds of times. And even though I had learned how to navigate with the maps, compasses, you know, doing uh, studies of imagery so I knew exactly where I was no matter what happened, I had not done a very good job of that. This was one of the very first missions that I did as a mobility force commander. So I said never, that would never happen again. And every mission from that point forward, I poured over the imagery. I poured over over our route. 
I made sure I had redundant systems in place that if anything went wrong, I could keep us on our route and get us where we need to go. And, and I think it's no different from life. I mean, you know, in business, any of that, you know, everything goes well when we're executing a plan and we're working on technology and we're, we're doing things according to the plan or how we've done them in the past. It's when things go sideways, if you're not prepared, if you don't have the experience to handle those things, that's when things can go really wrong. And uh, that's why I think it's very important for people to try and think through uh, the right and left limits and and how they're going to navigate if, if thing it's it, you know if things go wrong. Was that your first mission back after being going through Ranger School and, and getting back into the the roll call, so to speak, or however whatever the terminology is for for you guys being deployed? It was my first mission in a leadership position. So when I, I had been over there for probably two or three weeks and I, I did, you know, they ramp you up when you get into the combat environment. We're not just going to take somebody that's green and throw them directly into the mix of combat. We're going to ramp them up. We're going to partner them with somebody that's been there uh, that they're going to do missions with and, you know, get that feedback, kind of a mentor or big brother type system, if you will. So, uh, no, the, the, the navigation failure, that was my very, that was my very first mission as, uh, as an actual leader and, uh, definitely kicked myself, but, uh, it was a very valuable lesson and, uh, thankfully nothing happened. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You brought up a really interesting point, and Simon Sinek talks about it in his book, Leaders Eat Last. But so you're a leader, you're but you're a new leader in this combat arena. And so they're not going to put you in that leadership role directly. You're going to you know, sit sit in a different seat peri- uh, periodically as you come up to speed on this new environment. Is that the same? So let f- for every combat situation. So for example, you're in one province of Iraq and you have combat experience there, but maybe you get redeployed later on to a different area of Iraq. And even though you have combat experience, it's a new arena, so to speak. And so do they put you in that, you know, that back seat again, or do, they, or do they automatically plug you in to a leadership role? Most likely not. Most likely there'd be a progression, only because you're absolutely right. I mean, a different area of operations, not only that, a different team. Even though, even though the SEAL teams, we try and all train the same, every troop, every assault team, has their own nuances for how they do things. Uh, it's just the personality of that assault troop. So if you move to another area and suddenly you're working with another group, you can't just jump in because they may do things a little bit differently from how you've done it before. So there will still be a ramp up period. So you understand, you know, what what are the what are the threats in this area of operations that don't exist uh, maybe where you were working before? You know, what are, you know, maybe there are friendlies, maybe there are all these different things that play into that the guys that are there are the subject matter experts. So you need a little bit of time to get to, to understand this new environment you're working in and also understand their taxes. And I mean, I think that's the same for many other things in life. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you maybe we can actually talk a little bit more about the need to adapt for change because you went through SEAL training initially pre 9-11. And as I understand it through your book and through other research I've done on the SEALs, every team trained differently for different environments and nobody did the same training necessarily. But when you post 9-11, the training protocol 
was completely different. And that actually was challenging when you you came out of your uh, officer candidate school and then back into the teams and on deployment, you hadn't had the opportunity to train in the new way with a lot of these guys. And that actually caused some some problems, some friction, correct? It did. Uh, it really, I mean, so pre 9-11, you're absolutely like, you're absolutely right. Pre 9-11, the SEAL teams, very disaggregate in how we trained. You know, each team was focused on different areas of the world. And each team was, each team ran their own training. Uh, obviously, when the, the war effort in both Iraq and Afghanistan was so great that it, it called for a lot of SEALs and special operations personnel to execute that war. So now there was a huge shift where teams were no longer deploying within uh, a specific area of the world. We had multiple SEAL teams and assault troops that were heading into Iraq and Afghanistan and working together. And they quickly realized that, you know, one team's tactics didn't match the others. And, you know, one team did things totally opposite of the others. And that that's really dangerous in combat. So they quickly rewrote. In the first couple of years of the war, they quickly rewrote a lot of the training scenarios based off real-world combat scenarios. So I was in college from 2001 to 2004 while I went through my commissioning program. And it was during that time that all our tactics got rewritten. So here I was. I had been selected for a commission because I had excelled as a as a uh, enlisted SEAL. I had excelled at college. I was... I graduated number one out of my class and I stepped into, came back to the SEAL teams thinking, you know, Hey, I was, you know, I was God's gift to the SEALs. And not only was I not God's gift to the SEALs, I quickly figured out through a lot of frustration and, and unfortunately a lack of humility that everything had changed and all the tactics that I had grown up learning no longer were utilized. And so now not only was I trying to figure out how to be a leader, I was trying to learn all these new tactics, which um, I was just hanging on too tight. And I should have taken I, I should have taken a step back, got a hold of some of the senior enlisted guys and said, hey, fellas, I've been out of the game for a long time. Obviously, everything's changed. I really need your help if you guys will help mentor me so that I can get up to speed. That is unfortunately not what happened. I kind of fought against it, which you know led to some issues that I had to overcome. How I went to Ranger School and all that. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a tough road and an interesting road to walk. How can we, as people that aren't in the military, we're not in combat situations, but we're in the business world. We're entrepreneurs. We're interacting with all kinds of different personalities and meet, who all have different orientations of experience and. And levels of experience. And we're in an ever world of changing technology. And so how can we apply some of these principles and things that you've learned from adapting to change, to asking for help, to overcoming setbacks or learning when to fall back? How can we apply some of these lessons in the entrepreneurial world? So thankfully, I mean, now that I've been out for four years, I mean, I've been running my own company, a nonprofit, and we have definitely had our, um, we've encountered some pretty major obstacles along the way. Uh, as with any, as with any company or organization out there that's growing from, you know, a lack of cash flow, how are we going to pay employees to, you know, gosh, I mean, if we can't do something drastic, we're going to be out of business in three months. I think so. The number one thing I would say is tenacity. You have to believe in yourself. Once again, I think it comes down to the quitting versus falling back. You know, if if you you've got to take a step back and be honest with yourself, with your business and with the people you're working with. So communication is key. Everybody needs to be on the same page. And if you figure out that there are things that you can be doing better that are going to put you forward than that that's the path you should be taking. Definitely not quitting. So fall back, reevaluate, reattack. And, uh, and that is definitely, I think, the biggest key. That second point that I'll say is communication. Communication within individuals within your own organization. I think there are a lot of, a lot of leaders out there who, I don't know, they like to hang on to information. And I am not a proponent of that. 
I am. I like to have everybody informed of what's going on, even if it's still developing, even if it may, it may not come into fruition. I at least want to let my staff and, you know, my board and people know, hey, this is what we're working on. You know, this may not even happen, but this is what we're working on. So they're aware. And I think that creates better relationships. It puts people in the right place. And I'll be honest, sometimes they can say, hey, that's a really bad idea. And it makes you take a step back and go, you know what? I think you're right. Hmm. So uh, communication is key, both within your organization and external. Um, you know, one of the things uh, we, we got into, uh, I got into a lawsuit over a uh, program that we were working because it was with friends. You know, they tell you never do business with friends. Uh, and, and we never made an agreement. We never actually had a written contract and, uh, it turned at the end, there were some personality conflicts. It fell apart. Not having that contract created that big mess. So I am a huge proponent. I see things out there all the time where people are like, man, I went to have, especially amongst veterans. Veterans have the idea that, hey, a handshake's good enough. But unfortunately, in the business world, there's a lot of intricacies. There are things that can go wrong. There are problems. There's you know communication gaps, whatever it is. And sometimes people see things differently from how you see them, no matter how clear you feel it was. And that contract makes all the difference in the world, even if it's just a memorandum of understanding. That basically says, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And this is the end result. And this is why we're partnering. If there is a conflict, if there is a problem, you now have this to go back to and look at and say, hey, this is what we both agreed on. And it can help smooth those things. So communication, I think, is the key uh, to try and keep moving yourself forward and try and minimize some of the, the drama and problems you may encounter out there. One of the things that obviously you're very passionate about and you're developing programs around is the whole overcome mentality, this mental toughness that's a hallmark trait of Navy SEALs and special operators and really um, military carte blanche around the world. What is a way that that those of us who aren't uh, in the military can learn and develop this mental toughness, you know, and 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 this no quit kind of attitude. And a lot of us don't necessarily, like I even struggle with it, uh, frankly, if I'm being really honest, like this mental toughness, this grittiness, this no quit gene. Fortunately, I I do CrossFit and I believe that that is one way to develop mental toughness because those workouts are an absolute grind, especially some of the hero wads that we do. But what are ways that we can go about developing this mental toughness? And maybe you can share a little bit about the programs that you're developing to help educate people on ways that they can develop this grit and this overcome mentality. No, Mike, I think you nailed it, that it, 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 it starts with you. So you, if you stay in the status quo all the time, if you stay in that situation, normal, uh, you're never going to grow and build that mental toughness. Mental toughness is built when you're encountering adversity, when you're uncomfortable, when it's hard, when you're, in pain, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, and you have to be smart about it. I mean, you don't want to push yourself to where you break, but at the same time, that's where you're truly going to grow. And I think this is where one of the principles that I talk about is your ability to lead yourself. You control your destiny. You are the captain of your ship. So you should be steering yourself where you want to go. And you should look at yourself. A lot of times people will talk to me about, hey, you know, all leaders get up super early. Well, maybe, you know, it, it, it definitely depends on what their schedule is, what they're doing and what they need to be done. I'll tell you what all leaders do. They figure out what needs to be done in the day and they get it done. So if they have to get up at 4 a.m. to accomplish what they needed to do, they'll do it. Um, you know, others may not need to do that, but the bottom line is they evaluate what needs to be done and then they put the steps in place and they discipline themselves to accomplish it. Mm. I think that is truly what builds the, the overcome mindset is what I call it, that resiliency. I think absolutely people should do things like CrossFit. I think you should do things that push you outside of your comfort zone. If you are afraid of heights, you should go jump out of an airplane. I was just going to say, I, I am, I have this, I was just going to use that as an example because 
it's something that I want to do, but it makes my stomach turn. And, and my dad jumped out of airplanes, you know, in the 82nd and in, and in Vietnam and in all the things that he did. And but it's definitely something I, you know, I, I think I need to do just to show that I can overcome that. Well, so we actually use skydiving as a tool for that. And we are launching. So we've been doing a program called Jumping for a Purpose for uh, 17 or I'm sorry, seven years now. We've jumped about 350 wounded warriors, family members. And we are incorporating into this new program we're launching called the Overcome Academy. And the Overcome Academy is a leadership, resiliency, and communication program for wounded warriors to get them back out in the community as leaders, to teach them how to lead themselves, to teach them how to build that overcome mindset in the civilian world, to teach them how to speak civilian, to teach them how to work with civilians, because the civilian world is very different from the military. And sometimes there's a pretty big culture shock when you make that change. And then the other thing we want to teach them how to do is how to communicate, how to tell their story, but tell it with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's been through the military has learned about leadership and teamwork. They've learned how to overcome adversity. They've learned how to set goals and accomplish those goals, you know, mission. Not all of them understand how to take the experiences they've had in the military and translate those experiences and stories into uh, a message with a purpose. And the Overcome Academy's goal is to teach them how to do that, to take their stories and teach them how to deliver them and then get them out there speaking in front of uh, schools. You know, I want to get these guys and gals in front of America's youth. I want them to see individuals who, guess what? Life did not go according to plan, but you don't see me sitting back and whining and crying and saying life's not fair. I'm out there making a difference. And that's how it should be. You know, let's bring back this idea of grit. And uh, so the final evolution of the Overcome Academy, though, is they have to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of people look at me and like, oh, you're, you're dumb. I would never jump out of an airplane. You know, that, that's your own decision. But the thing is, it is not about jumping out of the airplane. It is not the physical act. I could care less if you ever jump again. You know, my wife did it once and that was good for her, but she did it. And that is the key when I tell people that when you're standing in that doorway or that ramp and you are at 13,000 feet and, and, you know, you feel like you're going to die of a heart attack because you're so scared and then you step out and there's that moment of sheer terror and then suddenly you realize, well, I'm not dead and I'm flying through the air. And, and then, you know, you deploy the parachute. And that moment where there's this serene quietness, you know, you're, you're about 4,000 feet above the ground under that parachute. As you float down to the ground, that moment is all about overcoming fear. It is about living great. By the time you get to the ground, you know you are still alive. And I tell people, if you can overcome that fear, then what's stopping you from doing anything else? And for our wounded warriors, now it's even bigger for them because you got to think we've jumped. We have jumped quadruple amputees. We have jumped blind wounded warriors. We have jumped wounded warriors that don't have their arms. And, and, and if we can get individuals like that who have suffered these catastrophic events, who are, you know, disabled, then what's stopping you, an able-bodied person, from getting out there and overcoming things like that? That's, and that's why we do it. It is to build that overcome mindset. So coming full circle, to build the overcome mindset, you have to do things that both face your fears and force you to get out of your comfort zone in all aspects of your life. So I, I believe in a, a new concept I've developed is called the Pentagon of performance, the five-sided Pentagon of performance. And those areas are social, they're, they are physical, they are mental, they are emotional, and they're spiritual. And, and you should be pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone in every one of those areas. And, and that's where growth is going to occur. And that, that is where you're going to build the overcome mindset. I love it. There was an, uh, a picture of you signing books um, at a conference you were speaking at, and a kid came up to you and said that he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. What did you tell him, and, and what could I tell my kids? I have four kids about building grit and 
toughness and, and, and dealing with failure and setback? I tell them it's going to be a hard road. You know, if they want to be a SEAL, it's going to be super tough. And they need to start training now. They need to get themselves. I tell them train hard and then stay hard. You know, so push yourself. Understand there's going to be setbacks. Things don't always go according to plan. So you've got to figure out how to navigate yourself towards that goal. And then the the, the biggest advice I give to young men who are going into the SEAL program, and it was the same advice that was given to me, but I did not, I didn't understand it until years later. As a matter of fact, I thought it was stupid advice. And the advice was this, don't quit. And that was all that SEAL said to me as he turned around and walked away when I walked up to him and asked him and told him I was going to Bud's and if he had any advice. And he said, don't quit. Hmm. And the funny thing is, now I look back and, you know, I give a little more amplifying information. But the reality is this. At SEAL training and life in general, in my opinion, so many people take themselves out of the equation because they quit. They ring that bell. They say, hey, I'm, I've had enough. It's too hard. I'm too uncomfortable. I'm too cold. You know, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And they quit. They self-selected themselves out of the program. 75% of people do that. And, and life is no different. You know, so many people I meet have these hopes and goals and dreams and, and they quit when it gets really hard. And then they, they look back and they're like, gosh, I didn't accomplish what I set out to do. Well, you self-selected yourself out of it. You made the decision to stop trying to move forward. So these young men and women, I mean, these young men that are going to buds, you know, possibly soon to be women, I tell them, if you don't quit, you have a 75% chance now of being a SEAL. You can't control medical. You can't control, you know, the external factors that, you know, are beyond your control. But what you can control is whether or not you ring that bell or not, whether or not you quit. And I think life is the same way. If you are a business owner, when it gets hard and you're figuring out how to make payroll and you tell yourself, I just can't do this, you know, get creative. Look at the ways that you can drive forward. Maybe you need to fall back and regroup and look at how to reattack. But no matter what, you never quit. That is powerful advice, Jason. And I, I just have a few more questions, but I want to make sure that people know where they can connect with you and, and interact with you online and learn more about what you're doing. So maybe this would be a good time for you to share that information. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I'm on Facebook. Jason Redmond WW is my public Facebook page. So I, I post my blogs and my video blog is on there. Twitter, I'm Jason Redmond WW, also at Jason Redmond WW. And uh, my, my speaking company is Soft Spoken, S O F Spoken, S P O K E N dot org. Um, you know, and if you're just looking for me, you can just Google Jason Redman Navy SEAL. You'll pull up all that stuff. And then the last thing, my nonprofit is the Combat Wounded Coalition. So combatwoundedcoalition.org. We are a great organization. Uh, 83 cents of every dollar that comes in goes back to the mission. And we are launching the new Overcome Academy next year. I am looking for businesses that want to sponsor a wounded warrior. There is a mentorship component of this program where you will directly work with this wounded warrior as they go down this leadership journey. So if, uh, if you are interested in that, if your company would like to have a very tangible, direct impact on a wounded warrior getting out there and being a leader and making a difference in the future of this country, uh, please reach out to me at combatwoundedcoalition.org. That is powerful. We will be sure to link to all of those uh, important items in the show notes. And uh, last few questions. This is kind of a fun one, which is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> any skill set I currently possess. Uh, I mean, I definitely have my thoughts on what I would use as a superpower. I think I'd like super strengths. But my current skill set, let's see, I, cre I, I like to think that one of the biggest strengths I have is, is my tenacity, you know, so I guess I would become overcome man and it would be, I would be the representation of never quitting, 
And I would motivate and inspire people in those hardest times. I would fly in when they're on the verge of quitting or ringing the bell. And I would motivate and inspire them to keep driving forward and to find success. So there you go. I love it. That's (laughs) awesome. That's awesome. They need to, uh, you know how on the Nike app, uh, they have like these motivators while you're working out. They need, when, when, when people are going through buzz and they're thinking about quitting, they need like a Jay Redmond little voice to pop in their head you know, and say, don't quit. That's right. Don't quit. Don't, don't self-select yourself out of the program. I think that you will, uh, you've already addressed some of these uh, lies, but what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential? I would say most people think they're better than they really are. Uh, so I think it's very important to take a step back and recognize what your true strengths and weaknesses are and how to amplify those strengths and and hopefully minimize those weaknesses. Secondary lie that people tell themselves that we can do everything. And I'm my wife would laugh if she heard me say this, uh, because most people that know me, they're the frequent thing they say to me is, I don't understand how you're doing everything you're doing. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> But at the end of the day, I do think that balance is key. And I think there's a lot of us out there, and I am very guilty of this, who will try and do everything. And uh, so I think that's a lie we tell ourselves, that we can do everything. And, and the last lie is, if I do everything right, you know, everybody will back me and support me. And that's unequivocally not true. You are always in this world, you are always going to have haters. You're always going to have the naysayers. I don't care how good you are. You know, even if Mother Teresa had her naysayers and haters. And I think it's important to build that overcome mindset because in those hard times when things fail and when things have gone sideways, you will hear those voices the loudest. The one that say, look, you failed, you know, oh, good, whatever. And, and it's easy to buy into that and, and, and quit. And that's why you build that overcome mindset so that you just, you ignore that and you focus on where you're going, fall back, regroup, re-engage. That, those are, those are uh, powerful lies that we do tell ourselves and great ways to overcome them and address them. And the final question is the title of a book. And, and frankly, I mean, people can go read your book and buy your book, which we will definitely link to in the show notes and read it because it it almost answers this question. But I still want to ask you and give you an opportunity to elaborate. And that question is, how will you measure your life? My my new mission in life, and and I'm very unique. Josh Montz and I are very kindred souls because both of us came about as close to death as you can come. Josh actually died. And then came back. Me, I was right on death's door and they managed to save me. I live every day like it's a second chance. I feel like I'm on borrowed time. And if God was to say, hey, it's time to go right now, I could say, you know what? I lived an amazing life. I put it all out there. I poured everything I had into it. But my new mission is to try and motivate and inspire other people to greatness. I want them to find success. And, and if I can take my stories and the second chance that I've gotten and motivate and inspire other wounded warriors and motivate and inspire my fellow citizens and hopefully motivate and inspire this nation to move forward to be the shining beacon on the hill that it's been for centuries, you know, if I could make that impact with a group of people around me, I would, I would die saying I did it right. No regrets. Jason Redman, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. This was an incredible conversation, a lot of, of great advice and real-world tactics that we can deploy in our everyday lives with our relationships, our families, our businesses, and advice to aspiring SEALs and special operators or people that are considering going into the military. I thank you for your time and your generosity. Mike, hey, I'm honored to be on. Thank you. Uh, tell your dad thanks for his service. And, you know, thanks for what you're doing to get the message out there to everybody, everybody in life, man. We're all struggling to, uh, we're all struggling to, life's hard. Life's hard. And we're all struggling to try and take care of ourselves and our families. So here's to those out there who are willing to lead themselves and overcome all. 
Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Such an inspirational conversation. I have huge respect, as I'm sure our listeners do, for your vulnerability and your honesty and your willingness to share the lessons that you learned in overcoming all of the obstacles that life put in your path and the importance of never quitting and having that never quit attitude. So grateful for the time that you spent with us this week. If you missed any of the key points, don't worry. We've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash eight four for the key highlights and all of the links to the book and the, the other things that Jason and I talked about, including his nonprofit, Wounded Wear. You can get all of those links there. And while you're visiting the show notes page, be sure to check out the Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, you know what to do. Go make an impact. Thank you.